Hi there, and welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technologies with me, Jasha Zaitz. In this episode, we're going to dive in medication pricing and price transparency in the United States. Because U.S. healthcare is private and runs by the rules of the free market, prices can differ substantially. Many solutions are addressing price transparency for consumers, and on the other side are the real-time prescription benefit providers, which give physicians a way to check the prices of medications before prescribing the medications to the patient in front of them. I talked to Carm Huntress, the CEO of RX Review, which is one of the price transparency solution providers. We talked about the impact of medication prices on treatment, intermediaries involved in medication pricing in the US, and also the impact medication prices have on the workflow of physicians if instead of simply writing a prescription, they also start researching the prices before the patient leaves their office. Enjoy the show, and to read the recap or browse through other episodes as well, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Carm, welcome to Faces of Digital Health. Uh, and today we're going to talk about drug transparency in the US and also explain a lot about how drug pricing and transparency works in the US because it's a very complex topic. So perhaps the best way to approach it would be to start by explaining the environment you work in. So Rx Revo's mission is to bring prescription price transparency to every provider across the country. So for the international listeners, can you describe how big of a problem is drug price differences in transparency in the U.S.? Yeah, well, the the challenge in the U.S. is that we have um, hundreds of different different insurance plans in the U.S. Everything from commercial to Medicare to Medicaid, and each one of those commercial health plans negotiates different rates for drugs and what's what they're going to you know what what they're willing to pay, what they're going to charge their patients, um, and if even if those drugs are actually covered or not covered with your insurance. And that complexity kind of shows up at the point of care when the provider is selecting a drug for a patient. Uh, and uh, when they do that today, you know, without technology like ours, they would just go to, um, you know, maybe their their favorite statin. They always prescribe and go ahead and just select that drug and then e-prescribe it to their local pharmacy. And, um, you know, a, a, a few years ago, um, when we were starting up, the, these technologies started to emerge to allow to, to do real-time drug cost transparency transactions where we could actually go and 
run a run a digital transaction with a, a person's insurance company to get the cost of of the drug on their specific insurance plan, uh, as well as lower cost options um, and determine if the drug was even covered on the person's plan. And we realized, you know, this would be incredibly helpful information if we could get this in front of every provider when they're making that decision for the patient. So we started working with most of the national insurance companies. Um, uh, we now cover 150 million lives that we can do real time pricing for. Uh, and then, uh, we started to embed this information in the ordering workflows within the electronic health records. So when the provider's doing their drug selection and making that order, we actually price it in real time, show lower cost options, um, uh, as well as a lot of other information about the person's benefit. If there's going to be a prior authorization, for instance, uh, and maybe they can avoid that with another drug and not have to do that. Um, all that information we now bring re- in real time, uh, to the point of care. Uh, we support about 200,000 doctors now um, with this technology, and we we run a couple million of these transactions every month. So it's pretty exciting in terms of the progress we've made over the last few years and, and what we're doing for doctors. So you've got a lot of data that you can analyze and think about how to further improve the, the service, right? Yeah, it's it, the data stuff we're just starting to get into this year. It's pretty exciting um, where we're really starting to measure the effect of, you know, when you present this information, how often does the doctor change their behavior? You know, what's sort of the average savings we, we save when a doctor does select a lower cost option? Uh, on average, we save patients about 260 bucks a month. Um, so it's pretty significant in terms of dollars saved to patients um, when a lower cost option selected. But we're, we're really starting to think about how we can use all this data to help further improve doctors' decision-making, giving them reports and visibility on their performance, you know, f- for instance, compared to their peers. Uh, and we think that's going to continue to drive the, the impact we can have uh, and, and really continue to improve the decisions providers are making uh, around their patients and, and drug costs. Was it difficult to get the support or to convince insurance companies to, you know, just enable you to make the connection between the providers and insurance companies. Why was this in their interest? Yeah, well, they cover the cost uh, of the drugs. You know, the patient pays a copay at a pharmacy and then your insurance, you know, plan covers the rest of that cost. Obviously, if they can lower that cost, that's that's financially beneficial to them. So there is a pretty significant advantage for them to work with us. I would say there was a lot of reluctance um, uh, early on uh, to sort of, you know, put the investment, the capital necessary for them to stand up these services that we connect to and then get get the data to the point of care. This It's an interesting history. The, the standard that we use, which is called real-time pharmacy benefit, RTPB or sometimes RTBC, real-time benefit check. That's a standard um, that was developed. It was actually originally written in 2004, and it sat on the shelf for over a, basically a decade. Um, nobody really had interest in it. And then some, you know, drug costs, you know, starting in around 2010 really started to go up in the U.S. You know, copays started to go up. You had high deductible plans. You had, um, uh, you know, very high deductibles now uh, and even coinsurance, things that, that make it very expensive for patients. And so the ne- the necessity to have this as well as thinking about getting into value-based care, um, really led insurance companies to think about bringing this forward. And then it was, you know, a few of the majors uh, insurance companies in the U.S. provided the capability, and then sort of it was herd mentality. Everybody else said, well, we better have that too because it's a benefit to our health plan members and and their their employers. 
Um, and so it's really come together in the last few years. There's still some, um, you know, health plan and PBMs that don't offer it. Um, we hope in the next year or two, they'll, they'll come on board and offer it too. But I think this is an obvious thing. I mean, I, I, a lot of people always ask me the question, like, why hasn't this been done? Because it's so obvious. Um, but the idea that, you know, doctors really should have real time, instantaneous information to the, the cost, your benefit design, what's covered, what's not covered, all your insurance information should be readily available to them in real time so they can really make the best decision for you um, as a patient. Um, and we don't have that yet in healthcare in the U.S., and we really need that across the board. You know, it shouldn't just be in pharmacy. It should be in labs, imaging, radiology. It doesn't matter what the service is. Um, we could correct, course correct a lot of healthcare, uh, you know, if we could get to a point where providers had all that information at their fingertips when they're making these decisions. If we try to explain a little bit more all the stakeholders that are involved in the final price that the patient pays. So you've got the insurance company, you've got the drug maker that sets the price, and then there's the PBMs or the pharmacy benefits managers that you mentioned. And basically they're the intermediaries that work with all the stakeholders with the objective to curate pharmacy prescription benefits plans options and help patients with greater access to appropriate medication. So in essence, they're sort of negotiating in the middle. Um, how does, you know, the increased drug transparency affect intermediaries? And to which extent do you think it could maybe cut some middlemen out? Well, I think where we are today is it's really helping rationalize, um, you know, in kind of two directions. What's the best drug for the patient? Um, you know, what's covered? How much will it cost? Does it have a prior authorization, Right. That's really looking at what the best drug is. And that would change, you know, manufacturers, um, you know, you know, how much volume a manufacturer is, is, is pushing through a particular PBM. Um, and that really ties back to volume rebates. And so it's, you know, the, the more we can align with that, the better volume rebates, the better negotiating power a PBM has essentially. Um, if we can better drive that forward and that hopefully leads to lower rates for patients. Um, uh, the, the second thing is really on fulfillment, right? Because there's many different negotiated rates. You know, if I go to mail order, if I go to a Walgreens, a CVS, a Rite Aid, right? There's a lot of pharmacy options in terms of fulfillment and that can really affect price. Um, and that's the other thing we, we try to rationalize. So that's really what's, you know, affecting sort of the value chain today and how we're moving, you know, dollars around and, and especially on the fulfillment side. You know, in the future, you could imagine a world where there's more of a direct manufacturing opportunity, right? Where, you know, either the, the entities we work with, like the large health systems are buying directly from manufacturers and the fulfillment's happening at directly, you know, in the clinic, in the, in the physician's office. And, you know, the patients may be paying cash or something, uh, that, that makes the drugs more affordable. I think, you know, CBI Insights did a great study on this that, about 41 cents of every prescription dollar is going to middlemen, whether that's, you know, man, you know, uh, wholesalers, uh, pharmacies, PBMs, payers. Uh, there's all these middlemen that are obviously benefiting, um, from, you know, essentially moving the drug around or negotiating the rate for the drug that aren't really quote unquote providing a huge amount of value. And I think in the next five to 10 years, because of where healthcare is going and because of the desire to move into value, I think that sort of economic pie there needs to get better distributed. And, and I think we'll see a compression of that 41 cents 
Um, and, and you're starting to see this in niches where you have direct to consumer plays like hymns and hers and Roman and, uh, even maybe some of the work Amazon's doing. Um, but it is really in these niche verticals where consumers can just go buy directly. And there's really a lot less, you know, there aren't really middlemen there. Uh, and so, uh, I think that trend is going to continue and, and put pressure on sort of reshaping the economics of, of the value chain. So here's a maybe um, a brave question, I guess. You know, from the European perspective, we've got a very a highly regulated system when it comes to drug uh, prices. They still differ around Europe, but more or less they are um, kind of negotiated on a high level, so you can't see huge differences inside a specific country. Do you think it could ever happen that um, in the U.S., prices would be more fixed so there would be less negotiations needed to get to 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 pricings because the the differences can be very substantial yeah i mean there's a lot of talk about sort of reference based pricing or putting caps on on the prices of drugs i think this is a hard a really hard problem to solve um because of the multitude of payers and pbms and the complexity of these value chains it will be hard to rationalize I've really come to a conclusion that the future is value. I mean, I think, you know, if you think about normal sort of supply demand value chains, right? It's like, you know, this, this product has so much value and therefore we pay this much for it. Um, I think, um, we're going to head into that arena with a lot of different types of drugs where if, you know, there's rates set for it based on how much value and, cl- you know, clinical effectiveness it really has for a patient. Um, and that will come through the liquidity of transparency, uh, both on a cost and clinical side. Once we have sort of scaled access to that type of information, we can really start to measure. And once you can measure, you can start to say, how much is this worth and how much is this really helping patients? And then we can have an economic discussion about, well, what we should, should we price that drug at and what's a rational cost for it? Um, uh, you know, I get a little bit scared when I hear, about sort of the next revolution of drugs and gene editing and other categories that are multi-million dollar cures essentially. Um, but, but that's not really sustainable. You know, we can't really live the idea of having, you know, I've heard crazy stuff like people having drug mortgages um, where they're going to have to pay off a, a, a curative thing over their lifetime. I, I really, I think, you know, that's probably a bridge too far um, and we need to find more rationally value-based um, you know, ways of approaching this that work for patients and insurers and employers. Um, and I think we'll get there. It's just, it's going to be a tough road ahead because, uh, you know, today it's, it's still kind of the wild west where, you know, drugs are rel- priced, um, at whatever kind of the manufacturer feels is appropriate. And, and we all kind of live with that price. And I, I do think that has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's try to look a little bit at what drug transparency for prescribers actually mean. So how does it affect clinical decision making? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you think about sort of the clinical effect we have, um, you know, I, we look at its cost as no different than a clinical, uh, uh, um, factor. Um, you know, you might not take a drug because it has a nasty side effect. Right. You also might not take a drug because you can't afford it. And so, you know, if if a patient's not going to take a drug because they can't afford it, then that's not a viable treatment option. And the and the doctor needs to really look at it that way. And that's you know, that's just the world that we live in here in the U.S. 
And so um, that's really how it's affecting clinical decision-making. We're trying to be rational in that, you know, when we show a therapeutic alternative or, you know, an option to the doctor, it's, it's, you know, it's a reasonable alternative. You know, it's not kind of off the reservation or something inappropriate. Um, and the doctor has to do kind of the rationalization of, well, wait, is this, you know, the, the, will this have the same, you know, sort of outcome or efficacy of the alternative? But in most, you know, for most conditions, there are many drug options that basically have the same eff efficacy. You just need to figure out the cost, right? And isn't it affordable? And will ultimately the patient pay for it and then be adherent to that drug, which is ultimately what the doctor wants. So that's kind of our viewpoint of how we, we look at cost just like any other clinical factor. Uh, and it really does need, in this day and age, needs to be considered that way because we ultimately want the patient to, to take the drug and be adherent. <laughs> So basically, when a patient is in the doctor's office and when the doctor is writing a prescription, um, does the doctor see, when you say alternatives of medications, do you mean the list of uh, biosimilars and generic drugs that the doctor can compare regarding what he wants to prescribe? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the alternatives could be a whole host of things. I mean, typically, they're just alternatives in the same class of drugs, Uh, like an ACE inhibitor or something, we'll, we'll look at a bunch of different ACE inhibitors and there might be a dozen of those options and then just find out what the lowest cop cost option is in that drug class and then present that to the, the, the doctor. It might be going from a brand to a generic, right? It's same drug. It's just the generic version or a biosimilar, for instance. Um, so, so all those options are really presented to the doctor in that, you know, real time transaction. And, you know, we do our best to, you know, give them things we know are rational, make sense, and have the same clinical efficacy, but just are are much less expensive or are covered by the patient's uh, in, insurance. If we try to compare, you know, prescribing with or without transparency, so does it actually happen that now, you know, with that, doctors talk to the patients and ask them, will you be able to, to afford this drug? And, you know, they check the prices before they decide for a prescription, because I imagine that that impacts the workflow of a clinician, you know, so instead of just writing a prescription for something that he's used to prescribing out of habit um, and out of just knowledge based on uh, the patient and what the doctor believes will help this patient, Now the doctor actually takes the additional time to look at drug prices. Yeah, I mean, today it's a pretty sad state of affairs when you don't have uh, real-time benefit. You know, the provider's just going back to what they know. Um, and, you know, with, with what we're doing, we're really giving that complete picture. And we kind of internally, we talk about it as a moment of shared decision-making. Right. Where the doctor can turn to the patient and say, look, you know, I'm looking at this statin, you know, for you, it's looks like it's going to be $250. I've got some lower cost alternatives here. You know, maybe we can get it down to $50. Can you even afford it? Um, and, and even in the, some case, it's a very expensive drug and there isn't an alternative. And then there's all sorts of things the doctor can talk about, whether that's financial assistance programs or maybe a different treatment option. Maybe it's an app. Maybe it's, you know, we, we're going to focus on exercise in, instead. Um, you know, I think it's really bringing that rational discussion because, a, a, you know, a third of the reason for abandonment of drugs is cost. Um, and so it's a pretty big deal in terms of, um, you know, why patients won't pick up their drugs. There was just a study that came out that showed just a 10% increase um, in the, the copay cost to a patient leads to 
much, much higher abandonment rates. Uh, and, and the reason for that is, you know, patients basically just sort of give once they're, they're used to paying 20 bucks and all of a sudden it's 50 bucks, they just go, Oh, forget about it. I'm not going to take my drug. The scary part of that study was that they were basically saying it's leading to higher mortality. Um, because these non-adherent patients, their, you know, conditions deteriorate, they end up in the hospital and get more sick and eventually die. Um, so it was a very sort of stark study of sort of saying, look, like, you know, cost really matters here and changing the cost on a patient is a big deal. So we need to be more sensitive to this, I think, overall and really, you know, both educate patients that these options do exist, but more importantly, really help doctors understand, look, this is right in your workflow. It's a click of a button or it automatically comes up. Take take the 30 seconds to talk it through with your patient and have that moment of shared decision making uh, to ensure your patient can really afford uh, the drug and and pay for it. Which kind of answers the another question that I had, which is, you know, how is uh, drug transparency more than just a patient problem? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all of our problems because healthcare is becoming unaffordable in the in the U.S. Um, but you know, if you look at it from the the provider lens, right? They deal, you know. Uh, constantly with sort of headaches related to pharmacy callbacks or prior authorizations where they have to fill out a form to get the patient on the drug. There's some pretty stark studies that have been done in this. I think the first one is they did a cost estimate and they said, you know, about $15,000 worth of doctor time is wasted every single year on just pharmacy callbacks. Uh, and that's per doctor, uh, pharmacy callbacks and dealing with pharmacy issues where they might have to switch the drug. And now they're saying about 20% of clinical staff time per week is spent dealing with uh, pharmacy issues for patients. So, you know, dealing with not covered to cover, dealing with prior authorizations, dealing with pharmacy issues, dealing with, um, you know, coverage issues. There's just an ongoing list of administrative headaches. So it has a dramatic effect on the providers and their clinical staff. Um, and again, we can just in an instant rationalize this all up front. The doctor just takes, you know, maybe 30 seconds and uh, or less and sort of looks at the data and makes a better decision for the patient. And then all that downstream waste is eliminated. So this really affects everybody. And then if you think about it from a large employer or, or payer perspective, right, you know, the thing you want is you want your patients to to get on the drugs that they're prescribed. You want them to stay adherent. That keeps them healthy. That keeps them working. That keeps them, you know, in their jobs. Um, and, and I think all those things are, are really important. So, you know, we really look at this as a central part of, you know, driving, you know, good patient care and good quality care, um, and ultimately leading to value, right? Because we can start to rationalize, Hey, the patient could afford it. They took the drug. They're adherent. They're staying out of the hospital. And that means lower costs for everybody. So it's pretty impactful in terms of what we believe the work we're doing every day. How would you describe kind of the broader landscape of trying to control or bring transparency in drug prices in the U.S.? In the last uh, 10 years, a lot of startups have started addressing this issue. So GoodRx is trying to bring transparency to the patients. Now Amazon Pharmacy entered the market. So how would you describe the changing landscape and maybe the entrance of a giant such as Amazon to the field. Well, I think overall these are these are all good things. Um, you know, you want more competition in in these markets to help you know better bring down costs, bring them into to to um, 
to make it more affordable for patients. If you look over the last 10 years or so, there's been about $1.6 billion invested in pharmacy-related startups. So it's a huge area where there's lots and lots of money going. And I think you have a couple different flavors, right, of, of startups. You know, you've got sort of the IT, pharmacy, transparency, us, GoodRx, you know, uh, True Pill that are kind of doing the the digital infrastructure for pharmacy, trying to bring transparency um, and and kind of opening up the market. I think you've got other companies sort of in that vertical niche. So I think about hims and hers and Roman, you know, hair stuff and which is a good starting point and, and sort of tackling some niches, reducing the complexity of the value chain, you know, and, and lowering costs for, for patients and making a much better experience. And then you've got kind of the, the altos and the, the Amazon, um, pharmacy, uh, uh, which, you know, really is focused on, um, you know, rethinking that whole purchasing, um, and fulfillment strategy. Right. And I think, I think moving it in the right direction where you have a lot more, a lot less middlemen and you've got better purchasing power. And I think, I think that's going to drive healthy competition. Uh, and I think, you know, I, employers are finally really starting to wake up to this and starting to think about alternative ways to get drugs in their patients' hands or in their employees, in this case, employees' hands. And so I think all these startups and everything are really healthy and sort of finding a new way forward. Um, and I, I hope there's more. I, I don't, I think we're on the tip of a very large iceberg here in terms of the opportunity that the market alone in the U.S. is about 400 billion going to 500 billion, uh, in terms of total cost. So it's a huge market that's, uh, that still needs a lot of work and attention and, uh, to kind of improve some of the challenges that, you know, patients face every day, um, uh, fulfilling their drugs. And also there's various players that are addressing the same issue. So, you know, you're a real-time prescription benefit provider and you're not the only one on the market in one of your blog posts um, on the company's uh, site. You even advise or um, uh, tell the providers that they do need to have many of these solutions because you, you can't cover everyone. So basically um, two questions there. Um, how does that further complicate the doctor's workflows if they potentially have to go to more of these solutions to check the best price for the patient? And on the, the second uh, part of the question, how many of the competitors do you have? Yeah, there's, there's, I'll start backwards. There's only a few competitors, three or four, you know, the, the, the well-known ones are probably, uh, sure scripts that's been around for very long times, um, cover my meds and, and doctor first. Those are the, the big kind of well-known competitors in the space. Um, really the, the challenge is, you know, there's so many payers and insurance companies, you know, if we would love and we're, 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 fo- have a big focus on becoming an all payer solution so we can service and, um, provide real time pricing for any patient or member on any health plan. Um, but we can't do that today. So, it requires the doctor to, to, to work with many, um, you know, at least two vendors typically to get really good market coverage today. Uh, the, the thing that's, that's good about our solution is because it's embedded inside the electronic health record on the, on, in terms of the user experience, that doesn't really change. So there might be one situation where, you know, a patient gets prescribed a drug and behind the scenes, it goes off to a Surescripts, for instance, to get priced. And then another patient shows up on a different insurance plan and behind the scenes, we do the pricing. But that experience is really consistent to the provider. 
Um, and that's a really important thing because we want that consistent. We, we want them every single order automatically gets priced and they have that information. I think, you know, previous to us, really the only way a provider could do what we do is go to like a portal and log into a portal and then look up a drug for an, you know, a specific patient on a specific health plan. That's an untenable ask, right? Imagine doing that for every patient every single day. Um, and so our approach by doing it through data and having multiple vendors, um, is really the answer in today's market. And, and really we hope and aspire to be an all payer solution. I mean, we are, we can price a hundred, you know, do pricing for 150 million Americans today. I hope in the next year we're, you know, close to 250 million in terms of uh, covered lives. And I think that is achievable. Um, uh, and, and that's going to get us really close to, you know, near, nearly everybody in the U S in terms of insured individuals. So, um, we're pretty excited about that. And there's still a lot of work to do for people who are underinsured or not insured in terms of cash pricing and, you know, showing good RX or other option, pharmacy options to find them the best price as well. So a lot of work still to be done and, and opportunity to, to, to help patients. You, you mentioned a lot of challenges. You also mentioned that you are going to scale further and reach more people. But still, um, is there any challenge that you're specifically focused on or that you identified as one of your priorities that you want to tackle in the upcoming years? Well, I think, um, you know, obviously we're, I, I would say on the pharmacy side, we, we want to reach a lot more doctors and, you know, we'll, we're, we're going to be about probably by the end of this year, over 200,000 doctors. Um, and we're excited to reach that milestone, but there's still a lot more to go. There's about 1.3 million prescribers. People can prescribe drugs in the U S. So a lot of opportunity still there. We're also starting to work on some of the friction issues. So like prior authorization and just streamlining that process from what the point of prescribing through the point of fulfillment for the patient. And there's a lot of opportunity to streamline those things. The other thing that I think is exciting and starting to come and being talked about nationally is the, this capability beyond pharmacy, you know, being able to price labs, imaging, radiology, and other types of services. I think that's something healthcare really needs. And, um, you know, we're, we're really excited about that coming to fruition. It's still incredibly early. Um, pharmacy, I think, has led the way and we're leading the charge in terms of being the largest network in the U.S. for these types of services. But I think that's really where um, I'd like to see things evolve over the next couple of years. And um, there's a lot of opportunity in the market. There's there's projects like the Da Vinci Project, um, which is trying to build standards around these types of things. Um, but it's definitely, you know, what I say to people is the inevitability of this. Like you have to believe that someday all doctors will have access to real time information for any service when they're ordering it and know the cost and if it's covered and all those things that has to happen. That's not a nice to have. <laughs> um, if we're ever going to think about value in the U S if we ever think about, um, you know, lowering the cost of overall healthcare, this is you know, fundamental to that. And, uh, you know, I hope we, I hope we get to be part of it in an even bigger way in the future. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review by going to www.lovethepodcast.com slash Faces of Digital Health, and you will be redirected to the platform appropriate for your device. Faces of Digital Health is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. So if you're trying to research healthcare in more depth from various perspectives, 
do visit the Health Podcast Network website to browse through various shows from across the world. Thank you. Thank you.